Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy unpacks Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 that talk about the cure for anxiety. Enjoy the message. Were you asked this question growing up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Were you asked that question? Anybody, right? Anybody, right? Okay, good. I was like, maybe that was just my generation. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut, right? I told, I want, I told my Sunday school teacher I wanted to be a scientist, and she says, <laughs> mad scientist. I'm like, okay, <laughs> dream died. <laughs> so, but yes, that is a question that we often ask people, and I'm sure we had really funny uh, answers, and some of, maybe we are living our dream right now. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. I thought I was going to be a scientist, and then my Sunday school teacher ruined it for me. But anyway, uh, so I, I did a little poll. I polled my kids, and I said, hey, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? So my daughter, Etta, she said, uh, I, I want to be just like mommy. It's like, oh, well, what do you want to be like mommy? I was like, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Like, well, what, what, what specifically do you want to be like mommy? I want to sew. I was like, oh, okay. Like my, my wife is like a bonafide seamstress. Like it's amazing. All right, so, so that's what Edda wants to do. And then there, so I'm like, all right, so I'm going to ask my son. I'm like, Graham. I was like, Graham, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he goes, I grew up last night, daddy. I said, oh, you grew up last night. I'm a big boy. It's like, oh, you're a big boy. That means you can help me pay the bills. All right. And so then I asked my son Elias, and he's changed his mind a number of times. At first, he wanted to be a tow truck driver and then a NASCAR driver. Uh, now he wanted to be a NASCAR driver at night and then be an engineer and build space rockets during the day. But now it's really turned out of this world. All right. Uh, he wants to make video games during the day and then at night be a planet hunter. All right. And, and I looked it up. A, a planet hunter, I guess, is a real deal, real thing. All right, so he wants to be a planet hunter. And I just kind of laugh at him. I'm like, my son wants to be a planet hunter? Uh, that's uh, okay, all right. They're out there somewhere, right? And then it got me thinking. What is it about kids that they can dream such big dreams and they are all about it and they, be, they believe they can do it? What happens to us as adults? I mean, think about it. My son wants to hunt for planets when most of us, including myself, has settled for just stargazing on the ground. What is it that we just let dreams die and we just let just the mundane status quo take a hold? What is it? What is it? You know, I, I think it's really easy. It's disappointment. It's worry. And it's anxiety. And that's why today I want to talk about living without worry. Because a lot of things that God wants to do through your life are either dormant, they're standing still, or they're dying because we've allowed other things to flood our mind. Dale Partridge, he recounted in his most recent book, Saved from Success, he sought to be successful. You see, what happens is worry will either put you on the shelf or will make you double down on ambition that might not be from God. So Dale Partridge recounts that when he was 18, he declared to his dad, Dad, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And so every single day, he began to prepare how he was going to be a millionaire by 30. And so he worked hard. He didn't go on vacation. He made a lot of money. And everyone saw this success, and they began to encourage him, motivate him. Uh, they began to just sing his accolades of the success they were seeing in his life. And he said this was a perfect storm of affirmation that drove him to work even harder. And at the age of 26, he founded a company. 
He founded a company that, that landed him on the who's who of 40 under 40 and 30 under 30. He was getting the, the, the attention of, of Jack Dorsey from Twitter, from Chick-fil-A who made him a keynote speaker at their conference, uh, to Facebook which were picking his brain on how he was able to leverage people at the age of 26. And you know, he, he knew that he was experiencing success and so he wanted to make sure that this success could be seen as God's success. So he said he slapped a God-sized sticker on his business and said, you know what, all... Uh, a portion of the proceeds of everything that comes in will go towards a good cause. And what he says is looking in retrospect that this God sticker wasn't to give God glory. It was to make him feel good for giving his whole life over to something other than God. And what happened was this. He worked harder. He worked harder. He worked harder. But he knew that he could no longer fake it till he made it. He knew that what he built up could easily be tore down. He could no longer sleep at night. He had stomach pains, anxiety taking over him. And it got to a point where his friends, his family were distant. He could no longer work. Finally, his company let him go. And this was his reaction. And it's so, so profound. Listen to this. There I stood a few months shy of my 30th birthday, a millionaire, but a broken empty, miserable millionaire. I had lived up to proving myself to my dad, but it had cost me more than I ever imagined. You know, this morning we have fears that I wish were different than the fear that was driving him, and the fear was making sure that he was seen as a success by his father. But for all of us, we can say that there may be unhealthy ambitions or anxieties that this morning may be providing you the world's best, but it is robbing you from God's destiny and God's best in your life. So whether it be your status, your comfort, your power, your wealth, your possessions, we live in a day of unprecedented anxiety and stress. We don't know what we have today will last tomorrow. And because we worry about that, we worry about tomorrow and never see what God is doing today. And our teenagers, our teenagers are experiencing uh, stress and anxiety at unprecedented levels. Surveys are showing this. In fact, if you were to compare the, the teenagers from the 1980s, anybody that was teenagers during the Stranger Thing 1980s phenomena, right? We had some 1980s teenagers in here, all right? 16 candles, what's up, right? <laughs> right? So, like, you have the 80s kids compared to the 2010 kids, right? This is what the surveys were showing. Teenagers in the 2010s, are 38% more likely to have memory problems than the 1980s kids, 74% more likely to have sleep problems than the 1980s kids, and 50% just more overwhelmed. Researchers are saying this is the bottom line. The bottom line to the stress is weaker community ties, they're too goal-oriented with vain measurements of wealth, image, and the expectations are almost perfectionist levels. But they whittled it down to this phrase. This is a phrase that's causing tons of anxiety. It's the phrase of, you can be whatever you want to be. Now, I remember hearing that, I'm like, yes, it's like motivational. But it's so false. I'll tell you why. I wanted to be a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, right? And I got my backyard, and I was pitching to my dad every day, but my dream died in fourth grade when I got cut because I wasn't good. I couldn't, I couldn't hit the glove, let alone I couldn't even hit my house. The ball would be going down the street. My dream died in my backyard. That's what I wanted to be. But the thing is, is that we live, teenagers live with this expectation that they can be whatever they want to be, and when it doesn't work out or they, there's uncertainty in the future, anxiety and stress 
culminates in their life. And adults, they begin to walk and they remember what they wanted to be and they go through midlife crises because they aren't what they thought they were gonna be or how life was gonna pan out. And we're living with this anxiety of expectations we could never attain and dreams that very well may never have been God's dream for you. Social media has fueled this anxiety as people compare their stuff, their desires to be relevant or influencers. In fact, research has shown that people's mental health has taken a beating when their posts don't receive enough likes or positive comments. We have a mental health epidemic going on online right now. Why? Because a lot of our dreams are getting shattered. But you know what? I want to just say this. This might be counterintuitive to what you're thinking. There may be a need for dreams to die right here, right now, because the dreams are not rooted in the desires and dreams that God has for you. Think about that. There may be dreams and expectations that somebody has given you. Maybe it's your father. Maybe, maybe it's, it's you don't want to end up like somebody, or maybe it's because you are, have a highly competitive spirit. Whatever it is, you may be driven by fear and anxiety, and that has become your dream, but it's manifesting itself in success, or maybe it's manifesting itself as in just complacency and, and not wanting to get involved with anything. Today, we must look Jesus square in the eyes and saying, am I living by your desires or my manufactured American dream? Man, some dreams might need to get shattered this morning because in that may find some extreme freedom. In our passage this morning, Jesus tells us that no matter what we do, this is what we are to be about. Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus is saying, no matter what we do, Jesus wants us to be about him and his kingdom first. That means as a follower of Christ, we're to be about Jesus, we're to become more like Jesus, we're to be empowered by his spirit, and we, the mission is to flow through our life. What is our mission? We complicate this so much. We complicate it because sometimes we just get in the way of God. We're like, okay, God, I want my life to be this certain way, or I want church to be this certain way. I want us to preach this certain text, or I want us to sing this certain song. I want church to feel this certain way, because when it's that way, then I'm moving. And God's like, just get out of the way and follow. He, the mission is this to give the life-giving message of the gospel that robs hell and populates heaven, to enjoy Jesus and enjoy his spirit, to be empowered by his strength and his strength only. We complicate things so much, don't we, church? What makes you worry? What gets in the way of God's way flowing through your life? What provides anxiety or worry? These are the real responses. Number one is work. Number two is money. Three is parenting. Four was the future for your kids. Then it gets real personal. Life and people. Can you imagine that? What causes anxiety? People. Just get rid of all these people, right? <laughs> right? People. I can res I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a crazy extrovert, so I like people. But you know what? Even extroverts need time alone sometimes. So I, I understand that. Some of you are like, yeah, I just want people just a little bit, all right? <laughs> You know, Jesus had a lot to say about anxiety and how we should fill our life. I mean, first, we are about to be about his kingdom, but what does he say about worry? And this is what he says in verse 25 of Matthew chapter six. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll wear, because isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? You know, some of us, uh, 
we worry this morning we have anxiety because it may be tied to something very specific, a traumatic experience, uh, post-traumatic syndrome. There, there may be a number of things that are happening this morning that we're working through, or, and it, it may be a season, it may be days, weeks, it may be your entire life. And I want you to know this, whatever you're battling, uh, God is, is, is big, he's strong, he has grace, he has power to get you through that and thrive through your whole life, even if you have to wrestle through that. I'm not specifically talking about that type of stress and anxiety this morning. What I'm talking about is stress and anxiety that is tied specifically to a life lived with the wrong priorities. Our main idea is you will worry more about what you are devoted to most. You will worry more about what you are devoted to most. And so when we worry, we will lose focus. We'll, we'll lose the idea of our identity. We will, we will get sidetracked from our destiny. When we worry, we lose. First thing it steals your focus. Worry steals your focus. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or, what or about your body or what you'll wear, because isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? The key to verse 25 is this, don't worry. What does Jesus mean? Is it wrong to worry? Uh, how much is too much worry? Can you be anxious about anything? And if there isn't supposed to be any worry or anxiousness, where does ambition come in? Well, we'll unpack some of these things. But to really understand what he means by worry, we need to look at the first word in, our, in verse 25. And it's the word therefore. And as the old saying goes, if the word therefore is there, you need to ask, what is it there for? And that word therefore is a connection to verse 24. And verse 24 is what we unpacked last week, and this is what it is. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now that word money, as we talked about last week, was translated from the term mammon, which is anything of value, right? Uh, we, we are either gonna love the things in our life, we're gonna love the money, we're gonna love the fame, we're gonna love what people think of us, we're gonna love our possessions, or we're gonna love God. You cannot have two masters. You cannot have two loves. One has to be subordinate to the other. And Jesus is making it very clear. If you love money, you do not fully love God. If you love this world and the things of this world and what people think of you and what you could be of you, your ambition in this world, you do not fully love God. He is being extreme. He's being real. He wants us to understand this very clearly because this will affect the totality of our life. He says, basically, if you're choosing to love something else, you are worshiping that something else. You're taking this thing that's a small g God, you're placing it on the throne that's only for the real God, and you're letting this thing master and lead you through life, and it'll bankrupt you. So are the things of this temporary life your first concern? Is what you're seeking have God's eternal view and vision? This isn't a passive question, by the way. This is a direct question I'm asking you to answer in your mind right now. What is of first importance? How you answer that truthfully could set the stage for the rest of your life. What has your affections? What has your allegiance? What has your love? However you answer that question, will help lead in your thought life, your passions, your relationships, your social media, your sexuality, what you consume, everything. What are you devoted to? What do you choose above anything and everything else? Because you will worry more 
about what you're devoted to most. Our mission as a church is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. To become fully devoted means that we are not double-minded. And listen, there's gonna be times we're double-minded because we're human, we sin, we fall, but guess what? We have a graceful God that picks us back up. But to be fully devoted means this. We as a church, not just individually, but collectively, we wanna pursue Jesus and everything that he is for us. We wanna pursue him in everything that he's commanded for us. We wanna pursue him in his power, what he can do, what only he can do through us. We wanna pursue his mission that Kenosha is not the same because we exist as a church that is following Jesus. To be a church that's fully devoted means that we have one master and that he is leading and that he's in charge, that he is sovereign. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not advocating in God's all, that he's all powerful and because he's all knowing and that uh, he is sovereign, that we are not to have ambition. I didn't read you that story this morning so that we are not ambitious. To the contrary, we need to make sure that our ambition is lined up with what God's will is for our life, that it is spirit-filled ambition and not just secular ambition. Because the world's ambition is this. The world's economy is money. And in many parts of the world, it is just surviving. Food, water, shelter, clothing, right? I don't, for many of us, I would say that's not our concern here in the United States. It's like, have you gotten enough water today? You know, like, have you gotten enough food today? Like I said, usually not our concern. It could be some of our concerns, but there's even resources to find that. What about people that can't even find resources around the world? For us, it's not usually what we need. We're usually concerned with what we want. Man, I want that. Man, I want that type of life. Man, I want that security when I retire. Man, I want that car. Man, I want that motor home. Man, I want those clothes. You know, my, my clothes are outdated. I need someone to shop. Let's go drop $500 on clothes, right? I've never done that before. I better be fun, all right? <laughs> Why? Because that's what our hearts love. They love things that we want because we live in a country of abundance. So we'll live for those things. You know, when I was 20 years old, I bought my first new car. I thought I made it. I went my whole life driving. Yeah, some of you are laughing. Your whole life, you were 20, I know. I went my whole life driving beaters, dents and rust. Finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go buy myself a 2001 Dodge Stratus, all right? And so I brought my dad with me. I convinced him to co-sign. I don't know how he, I, I did that. That was convincing. And so, uh, and I, I rolled off the lot with a brand new Dodge Stratus. Now, I was excited because I thought I made it. But number two, I knew that my brother, he wanted to dodge Stratus, and I could not wait to see his face when I pulled up in the driveway. And, oh, he was mad. He's like, I can't believe it. My brother was like this street racer. He had all these ideas for the dodge Stratus. And he's like, he's not even going to, like, trick it up and put speakers and paint it. And, and like, he was so mad, and I was so happy. And you know what? I look back at him like, man, for 60 months of payments, that was a really expensive, like, gotcha moment, Right? But then I rolled into the, the campus. I went to Trinity in Deerfield. I rolled up the campus, my new car. People look at it. They're like, oh, man, that's a really nice car. I'm like, I know. You guys either don't have a car or your car is all beat up. I felt good. And one day, I was at a red light. And it went green. I put my foot on the metal, and the car didn't go anywhere. Like, What's going on? It's kind of revving. And then all of a sudden, the car went, went, into, it went into gear, and it went on its way. I'm like, well, that was weird. Then another day, in the thick of traffic, five o'clock, I was at a turn lane, green arrow. I went to go, same thing happened, except this time my car was going nowhere. 
You know what happens when you're in the front of the line in Chicago traffic? They're not nice. They bite, okay? Uh, they begin to honk, and then when that doesn't work, they pull around. And when they pull around, they give you what I call the one-finger salute, okay? And they just, it was person after person after person. Even a nice little grandma decided to, you know, give me that little salute. I'm like, do you even know what obscene gesture, what that means? Like, I was so discouraged. And at the same time, humbled because I realized the thing I really wanted and I was focusing all my attention on and emptying my bank account for was now broke in the middle of the road and it never got better. Sold it for a fraction of what I paid for. What I think is funny about what, uh, what Jesus talks about here is he doesn't say that our life is more than the stuff that we want for Christmas or our cars or our vacations. He could have easily gone to the luxuries of life, right? No, he actually went to the basics that we take for granted. He says, isn't life more than the, the, the food or the, or the water or the, or the shelter? In verse 33, he says, we are to be people that are not about the things that we need in our life or want in our life. We need to be people that are seekers. He's calling us seekers. That we need to seek out the things of God and his kingdom in our life. We need to seek first his kingdom, and then here's the awesome promise. And then I will give everything you need to live. Now, don't misunderstand this text. God cares about your body. He cares about your life. He cares that you receive food. And listen, here's the deal. When you were in famine, real famine, it may be appropriate to pause and make sure that you get food and water. Uh, when Allison and I were hiking, my goal in this hike, it was like a four mile up, four mile back. My goal was to get as, up to the snow line to the glacier. That was, my, that was my focus. But there was a point in the hike where we ran out of water. Now, you'll dehydrate, get sick. You probably won't die in a day hike, but in a couple-day hike, you could, right? Three-day, four-day hike, right? So my, in, that moment, in that moment, my focus went from looking at the glacier to looking for a stream. And so we found a stream. We pumped water. We purified it. It was the best water I've had in my entire life, I'm going to tell you right now. And, but the thing is, is for a moment, I was looking, how can we sustain to get back on track, right? But for most of us, we're not in famine this morning, but yet we're approaching God in famine. You get what I'm saying? We live in a country that even today, if you don't know what your next meal is, you need to talk to us. We have partners. We have, we have, we have, we have, we have a network of followers of Christ. We want to make sure that we got each other's back, right? But yet, we hobble to God in prayer, and we feel like we're dying. We feel like, God, you can't do what I'm going to ask you to do. God, you, you, you don't know what's going on in, in my job. My job's getting really hard. God, you don't know what's going on in my relationships, God. God, you don't know what's going on. God, if, if, if I really go all in with your, I'll burn all my street cred. I'll be impoverished with my street cred. I'll lose some friends on this one, God. God, you, I can't do this. I can't do this. We're walking to God this morning. We're, we're, just, we're just stumbling. We're getting ready to fall. We're like, God, I, I, you can't, I can't do what you're asking me to do because I don't got a lot to, to give you. And if I give you what I got, I'll have nothing left. And I'll just be through but we go to God, forgetting that he is the God of abundance, even in our poverty. You know, I was, my first mission trip was in Egypt. <laughs> Talking about jumping in the deep end, right? <laughs> Going to Egypt, right before the Arab Spring. Churches I served in now were burnt to the ground at Arab Spring. But I was there, and I was preaching in Cairo. And Cairo's an interesting city. Uh, it, it, it's bigger than New York City. It has lush palm trees, water. The Nile River goes through this town, <laughs> city. There's not a, you can find food everywhere, great food. 
But yet on the edge of town is the great desert that spans the whole continent of Africa. And you get to see the pyramids too. So I'm like, I want to go to the desert. So we went to the desert. I rode some camels. It was awesome, right? But in the desert were families that would beg. You had your grandparents, you had your parents, and then they had the kids. The kids were the secret weapon. And they'd have big tanks that they'd fill water with, or they, they would take your money to get, go find food in the desert. And they would just beg, and they looked peaked. They looked sick. They were impoverished. But what I didn't get was just a mile away was lush vegetation, water, and a city. And what was explained to me in this moment was that the families taught each other poverty so much they couldn't see the provision that was a mile away. You know where I'm going with this, church, is that a lot of us like to hang out in the desert, and there's moments that we're in the desert, but I want you to know is this, is that when we go to God and our hearts feel like they're in poverty, we may feel that poverty. I want you to know this. We can go to a God who is so abundant in mercy, who's so abundant in provision, to fill you with what you need in that moment to move forward. But for many of us, we are held captivity in the prison when the prison doors open, and all we have to do is walk out and walk in to the lush vegetation of God's goodness and his provision. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 29, I'm getting worked up. I'm sorry, but I'm getting excited because I think a lot of us are stepping in poverty when he wants us to step out into his provision. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12, then you will call upon me. Listen, prayer is so big. How do you step out? You need to start praying to him. You will call to me and you will pray to me and I'll listen to you and you will seek me and find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back from your captivity. Some of us need to stand up right now. Some of us need to stand up right now in our captivity, representing our captivity, and we just need to take one step out symbolically and say, God, what I was staying in, I'm not going to stay in the desert any longer. I'm not. My worry has taken my focus. I haven't been able to see the lush green vegetation of the city that you want me to walk into. We need to step out. And whatever it is to step out of that famine, sometimes God seems far away. Our eyes can't see it or we can't hear his voice. But I want you to know this. It's not that God isn't near and he's not speaking. And sometimes we need our eyes adjusted. We need our ears cleaned out because God is among us. He's among us this morning, church. So don't worry about life, including the basics of this life. Seek first the kingdom of God. And church, let's say together, and everything will be added to who? You. Worry steals your focus on the character of God, the mission he has for you. Secondly, worry steals your identity. It's an identity thief, church. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or what, uh, what, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor, Solomon the richest person in the Bible, right? Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And Jesus dropped his mic. <laughs> you know what I find really interesting here? Jesus wants us to remember that our worry robs us of our identity. 
of who you are. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, and I realize each and every week we have people in here that you're on different places. Some of you have been in the church for years and you need to rekindle your relationship. Some of you, you're like on a honeymoon right now. Like you, you've come, you just stepped into the things of Jesus. Some of you, you're trying to figure this out. You don't have an active faith. And what I want you to know is when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are adopted as sons and daughters of the king. That's your identity. That's why you can go to him in prayer. That's why he's the God of abundance. He doesn't give you a, like a wish list like Santa Claus. He gives you everything that you need so that he can run his mission and his purposes through you, right? But worry steals not only our focus, but our identity. And I, I, Jesus is really funny here. <laughs> he, he doesn't go to a person or even himself as an example. He goes to the animal and plant kingdoms. You know, I'm not a bird watcher. Any bird watchers in here? I had one like swoop my head the other day. It was like a killer bird, all right? So anyway, it's like, get out of here. So anyway, I don't know if anybody has bird swooping things, but watch out, there's killer birds around here. All right, so Jesus is telling us to be a bird watcher for a moment. Have you ever seen a bird when they need to go feed their young? They go into the yard, they hop around, one peck into the ground, and there's, there's a worm. I'm just fascinated by that. How do you know? Do you, have, do you have like sonar vision? You know, oh, there's worms, right? Like somehow they know intrinsically where are, where are those worms? Jesus tells us to look at the birds of the air. They don't laugh. And Jesus is saying, I want you to look at the animal kingdom. I want you to look at the plant kingdom. What he's saying is animals and plants are not made in the image of God. We're told in the creation account in Genesis that only one thing in creation is created to reflect the goodness of God, and that is human beings. I know that today sometimes we're trying to equate the tree with the human. I'm not saying we should be damaging to the environment or that we should be cruel to animals. No way. We are, we are to have dominion, that is stewardship over God's creation, so we should care for God's creation, right? But the thing is, that doesn't mean that we're on the same level as it. There's only one part of the creation that reflects the goodness of God and the image of God, and that is humanity, which means this. This is huge. We lose this if we lose this distinction. Is that if God is going to provide for the lesser, he is going to provide for the greater. That's what he's saying. As a child of God, he is going to provide for you. Martin Luther said it this way. The sparrow has become the greatest theologian and preacher to even the wisest person when we observe them. You worry more about what you're devoted to most. And so when you worry, and you forget who you are, you forget that you're a child of God, what you do is you take that worry and you take it on your own like you can fix it. And you might be able to temporarily fix it, but you look at this thing as like, I can fix this. And what you do is you elevate not the worry, you actually elevate yourself to the level of God that you think that you have the remedy to fix this thing. And what you do inadvertently is you shrink God down to something that maybe you just call upon when you really need something, right? You just make him the plumber. You just make him the, the, the carpenter, right? You just, you just make him the, the helpline, right? The thing is this, we need to shrink ourselves down a little bit and we need to see God for who he really is and how big he really is. That is what worry does, though, is worry tries to steal our identity so that we don't do that. Proverbs 35 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with your own heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. You are a child of God. Do not forget your identity. Don't. You will not approach him as a father, as a good father, as an abundant father, if you think that he's some distant, angry person that doesn't want to be dealt with. Now, when we trust God as all-powerful and all-sovereign. This is what Jesus is not saying. There could be a great error that comes out of the message today if I didn't bring this up. Two things. Number one is Jesus, trusting Jesus in everything is not saying do nothing. 
<laughs> Some of you are like, sweet, I've been just so stressed. I'm going to go on a vacation and sit in my lazy boy. I'm going to put it up. I'm not going to do nothing, all right? I'm not going to clean the house. I'm just going to sit in that thing, all right? And that's not what he's saying. In fact, during the Great Awakening, that was a huge revival that swept the country just before our founding. Uh, a great error uh, infected the church, and it was an error called quietism. Quietism was this over-spiritualizing of that God can do whatever he can do, and, and we don't need to do anything. So people literally just sat in their homes, and they would just sit there. They would acknowledge God, but he'll just do it. And, and some, of the, some of the theologians, like Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield, they're like, no, what are you doing? Like, nothing is going to get done, and nothing did get done through them. They're like, why isn't anything getting done? Why aren't the orphanages getting built? Because you're not building the orphanages, all right? You're, you're just sitting there. You're saying, God will do it. What's he going to do? Oh, well, it's just built, <laughs> you know? No. The thing is this. We are co-laborers with God. God's strategy, Jesus' strategy, is to use you to use you. He speaks and we respond in obedience and he uses you. And guess what? If you want to be disobedient, don't think for a second that you can throw out the ways of God. God will just choose somebody else. But listen, why would you want to be, disinvite yourself to the party? Why? So don't be lazy, is what he's saying. Proverbs 26, 13, the slacker says, there's a lion in the road, a lion in the public square. You know what I love about this? If there was a lion in the road, like on Pershing, I'd be like, hey, church, we need to stay in here for a second, right? Because uh, there's a lion on the road, and we need to make sure the animal control gets it and he doesn't eat you. That'd be prudent. But the thing is this. The slacker is saying there could be a lion in the road. There could be a lion in the public square. So I'm going to do nothing. And that's what we do sometimes is we choose to be disobedient, but we put something that looks like wisdom or we put something that sounds biblical to justify, to do not what God has said for us to do. So, in trusting Jesus, we are not to do nothing. Secondly, we are not to cease to be generous. If God has promised to provide, provide basic needs, food, water, shelter, my first question is, well, why are there people hungry today? Right? When you read that, it's like, okay, well, there's people that are hungry in Africa today, right? We, we support our, uh, we have a partnership in Kenya where they are feeding uh, orphans today uh, and, and feeding and, and educating them and clothing them. And, and listen, when you give, uh, it's a, they're saying thank you every Sunday, by the way, okay? But why is it that some countries are impoverished? And it's not because God has not provided the basic needs. Uh, it, this is what John Stott, he, I'll just quote him. He says, the most basic cause is not inadequate divine provision, but inadequate human distribution, Jesus says he will provide, but often we are the agents of God's good grace, and so we need to provide and help those who are not being provided for. And it, to, to, all you have to do is take a look at corrupt governments around the world to where they are, when, you, when we provide aid, they steal the aid, right? And so the thing is, is, as the church, when we know there are people in need, we need to be a church that we are for the good of that community or the good for that partnership that, we have, that God has led us to partner with. We realize that there are inadequate distribution of, of things in people's life, and we want to be a, a church. We want to be a people that go to people in their need. Third thing, worry steals their identity. It also it steals your destiny. Verse 21, or verse 27, excuse me. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. People try to put their hope in a bunch of things, whether their own ambition, government, programs. The only hope I see Jesus putting his stock in is the church. 
The church needs to be the hands and feet of Jesus, doesn't it? We need to see people that are spiritually impoverished meet Jesus because without that, he says that the things that we give them will perish along with them when they die. People need the gospel, but people also need to feel the, the love and mercy of Jesus in our everyday life. Our destiny is to be like Jesus and to do the things of Jesus. But oftentimes, our worries in our life stand in the way to where we don't do that. Now, it's, this is interesting. Jesus says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? He's cutting a little joke here. He's like, no, absolutely not. Like, just, just think about this. Has worrying ever helped you? Has it? Man, I worried a lot about that. I am such in a better spot, <laughs> right? I need to worry more, right? Anybody? No, right? And, and here's the thing. You don't think worry is affecting you. How do you think your worry or anxiety is affecting other people around you as they care for you? And as you care for them and you see them anxious and worried, because we all worry, we all have anxiety, right? In fact, studies show that your life is reduced by 20%, at least, if you even moderately worry, or if your life is filled with worry. But Jesus' response is, seek first his kingdom. Trust him today, and he'll take care of your tomorrow. But oftentimes, our worry gets in the way of what he wants to do through you right now. Well, when we impact God's word, we don't want to just be somebody who knows the word. We want to know the person of Jesus Christ. And you can't know Jesus just by knowing things about him. You need to know him personally. Do you have a relationship with Almighty God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, he created you to have a relationship with him. Did you know that? He you were wonderfully and fearfully made in your mother's womb. You were created to know God. The problem is we've sinned. We've done something wrong in our past, in our present, and undoubtedly in our future. And that sin separates us from Almighty God. You see, God requires perfection in heaven. And not one of us, including you, including myself, we're not perfect. And so sin separates us from Almighty God. And what people try to do is they try to get to God by religion. They try to get to God by doing good works or to prove themselves. But none of these things will get us to God. In fact, our righteousness is but filthy rags, is what Scripture says. And so it requires a miraculous, uh, a, a miraculous happening. And that miraculous happening is this. It's not ourselves. It's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You see, God came 2,000 years ago as the God-man, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place to take the punishment of our sin, to take on God's wrath. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. He stood in your place, and God saw your sin upon Christ. And Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God came upon Christ. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus Christ died for you. But because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And his resurrection demands now our response. And the question is this, have you placed your full faith in Jesus Christ? Upon Jesus Christ, what he did for you. The Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus? 
if you're not sure or you know you haven't, right now is the time. You might think like, well, let me get things figured out first. No, let's, today's the day of your salvation, scripture says. That means that you come as you are, but Christ doesn't leave you as you are. He takes you where he is going. So why don't you just pray with me right now? Why, why don't you consider Jesus? Why don't you place your faith and trust in Jesus right now? Uh, this prayer that I'm about to pray isn't gonna save you. It's Christ who's already saved you. I'm just helping you communicate to God. So if you wanna place your faith and trust with Jesus right now, will you just pray along with me? Just say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned and I realize I need a savior. So Lord Jesus, will, will you save me? I place my full faith and trust upon you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus right now, the Bible says you have become a son or daughter of the king. You have been forgiven of your sins. And know this, that once you are held in the grip of God, nothing can pluck you from his hand. Also know this, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, there's a party in heaven happening right now. Uh, when just one person gives their life to Jesus, the angels rejoice in heaven. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.